They think of everything around here. Got the water. <laughs> it was uh, 39 degrees when we left Pittsburgh just a few days ago. So we had our winter coats on. It was so cold out. They were calling for frost and all that stuff. And then we got to Anglewood. <laughs> Did not need a coat down here. <laughs> but we're glad to be here. Glad to be part of this ministry and just to be able to share with you some of the uh, things that have happened in our life. As, as Coach mentioned, our daughter passed away. It was probably the most difficult thing we've ever gone through as parents. Parents are not supposed to have to bury their children. And our daughter was young, just uh, 35 years old. She had some sort of minor surgery. It was related to dental work. She lost over 30 pounds in just a few weeks. And then her organs started to shut down. She was rushed to the hospital, finally put on life support in just a few hours. And before I could even fly up from down here, she had passed away. This was a, a tremendous shock for us. I shared all this with Pastor, and I know he shared it with some of you, and I just want to thank you for your prayers. If it weren't for those prayers, I don't think we would have been able to make it through. And then the, the power of God's Word to encourage you when you've had a loss like that. And I listen every Sunday. We worship the Lord, my mother and I, as we watch... Uh, the programs down here, sometimes both services, and I noticed that for several Sundays in a row, there were loved ones that were lost in this congregation. In fact, uh, our dear neighbor, Don, his wife is here today, Pat, you couldn't ask for a better neighbor. If I was doing something, he was there to help. One day he saw me hauling everything out of the garage and he came over and he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, there's this big lizard in my garage. It was one of those, whatever you call them, they're about two feet long. That's it, iguana. <laughs> well, over came uh, Don. He brought this uh, rod with him that had a, a spike sticking out of the end of it. And he said to me, do you care if we kill this thing? And I said, not at all. <laughs> we trapped it in a corner yeah, and sent that thing to its heavenly home. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he was. And I will so miss him dearly. Ah, oh, I just, my, because we just lost our daughter, I, I was able to pray in a new way for what Pat was going through. It was, and for all of you who have lost loved ones, you, you have things to deal with, and actually the, the motivation behind, the inspiration behind the message today comes as a result of us having lost our daughter. Um, she was just a young person, of course. She never married, 35 years old. I wondered about that, and she told her mother one day, I'm not going to get married till I can find someone like your husband. And I'm glad that she did find someone 
who I aspire to be like, and that was her Lord and Savior. Um, shortly after she passed away, one of her good friends sent this picture of called the, My First Day in Heaven. You can imagine that uh, seeing the Lord for the first time, someone that you've loved from a distance, but now he opens his arms to you and you flow into his arms. That was such an encouragement to us. So I, uh, again, thank you for your prayers. We're going to get into the message which deals with heaven. And so... uh, Let me say this, we're talking about opportunities, this series. Nothing is more important than you to take advantage of the opportunity of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's preparing for the next life. If you're not prepared for the next life, you're in big trouble. And so taking advantage of that and knowing the Lord as Savior... Just let me say this, because sometimes we forget that there are no unbelievers after death. Everybody is a believer. Not everyone has taken advantage of this, and that doesn't change destination. But everybody that has ever lived, when they die, know that there is a God. So I suggest you take advantage while you can. The Bible says now is the acceptable day of the Lord. Not tomorrow, not next week, but now to know the Lord as your Savior. Nothing really can stop our departure when our time is up. The Bible explains this in Psalms 90.10. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet their strength and labor and sorrow are soon cut off. You sang the song today, We Fly Away. That's where that song came from, 1929. Man wrote this uh, message, and it's still so true today. And I was back there listening to you sing it and almost weeping as I, as I heard those words, We are going to fly away. In case you're wondering what a score is, a score is 20 years. So if you're three score, let me see if my multiplication is right, that's 60. And then if you add 10 to it, that is 70. That's uh, how old I'll be November 28th of this year, three score and 10. And I thought to myself, that seems like a very short amount of time to live. It seems like it was only just yesterday that I was in high school. In fact, I was talking to my 90-year-old mother. She'll be 90 very soon. And she told me something I had never known before about her. She said when she was growing up, she went to high school at 100 West Virginia. And I knew that. But she said, you know, my junior and senior year, I was a cheerleader. She began to explain to me all the things that she went through. They made their own... um, Uh, cheerleading outfits and the games that they went to, she was explaining it to me like it was just yesterday. And it was decades, scores of years before. And you can do the same thing, can't you? You look back upon your life and you say, well, 
Wow, I remember that. That's, that's just like it was yesterday. That's how short life is. And that's why we need to be so careful as to how we live that life on a daily basis. To make sure we're making our lives count, so to speak. Count for eternity. Life beyond the grave, the title for the message this morning. And I get great comfort in knowing this, that the entrance into heaven is immediate because of Jesus. We're going to look at scripture that proves that, but let me say this, that John the Baptist declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Without Him, we don't have a chance. And with Him, and our faith in Him, we cannot fail. Jesus secures our entrance into heaven. And whether you knew it or not, He entered hell for a heavenly cause. Maybe you think when He died on the cross that He just took three days off. Just slept for a while, doesn't have to resurrect for three days. Just, uh, he's just sleeping, taking it easy. But that was not the case for our Lord and Savior. Ephesians 4.8, maybe when you read that for the first time, you wondered what was that talking about? Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might feel all things. Now when you look at the scripture and you begin to study it, you will begin to understand that paradise was not always in heaven. In fact, if you look at the Scripture, I didn't put all the transcript up there from the Bible because it's pretty lengthy, but if you look at chapter 16 of Luke, you'll be able to see that the Lord explains something that was common in that day. This is where you went, and it was a place in the lower parts of the earth. Let me just paraphrase some of that Scripture. Lazarus represents all the righteous, and the rich man in that parable represents all those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when they both passed away, they went to a place, the Scriptures define it as in the lower parts of the earth. There's another term in the Greek for it, but just to say it simply, they went down. And there was a gulf that separated the righteous from the unrighteous. And can I just say this about the unrighteous, that there was suffering going on, pain and anguish, even what you might call fire, the fire of hell. The rich man was able to see across this gulf, and he could see Lazarus, who represented those who were righteous, comforted, taken care of. And he says, could you just send... Lazarus over here with a drop of water for my tongue. My tongue is on fire. But it's explained that you can see us and we can see you, but there is no way that we can come across to you or you to us, us to you. No way. 
That separation was real. Well, the rich man said, well, could you just send Lazarus back and could, could you have him tell my brothers, tell, tell them that they don't want to come to this place. Surely, if he goes back and he tells them, being resurrected from the dead, that, that they'll, they'll respond, that they'll, they'll not come here. I want them to escape this torment. And he's told, even though someone resurrect from the dead, if they won't listen to the word, the prophets, those who have told so much before, they will not even listen to someone who is resurrected from the dead. That's a uh, powerful word explaining what hell was like before the death and resurrection of Jesus. But then Jesus changes the location of the saints that died. He goes down into the lower parts of the earth. The Bible even says it was a preaching, not for conversion, but more like a proclamation of who He was and why He was there. He changes that location. In Revelation 1.18, He says, I am He that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and of hell. That's your Lord and Savior. After Jesus' resurrection, just so you get an idea, this was real. This thing actually happened. After that, there were some taken captive by Him that walked the streets of Jerusalem. And in fact, there's Scripture that verifies this after the resurrection of Christ. Notice Matthew 27, 51 through 53, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. Can we just stop there for a moment? Because Josephus says, a historian of that day, that the temple veil was six feet thick. This was not like ripping a piece of paper. Wild horses couldn't have pulled this apart. But the veil was split from top to bottom. The earth did quake. That's probably when the centurion says, surely this is the Son of God. Because of these things occurring. And then in Matthew, it says, many bodies of the saints which slept arose. So not only Jesus resurrected, according to Matthew... There were others that resurrected with Him and went into the holy city. The holy city is Jerusalem and were seen by many. That would have been a pretty powerful demonstration of life after death. These people, I believe, were on their way to heaven with Jesus when He changed the location and made paradise a place in heaven. Now for the good part. It's the Apostle Paul that really wanted to leave this world because he knew that he would instantly be in heaven. When you start to feel that way and understand that heaven is your destination, leaving this world doesn't seem so difficult, so hard knowing what awaits you. Philippians 1, 23 and 24 says, For I am in a strait betwixt two having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, 
Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. For we are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Since our daughter passed away, my wife has become hungry, I would say is a moderate term, for everything she can find out about people who have left this world but then were given the opportunity to come back. In fact, on our ride down on the airport, she has one of these Kindles. And she can put volumes of books in it. It's absolutely amazing. She'll hit her title and there will come the book and suddenly she's reading about a man by the name of Marvin Besteman. His book is called My Journey to Heaven. Marvin had an operation, and during the operation, he must have passed away. And he enters heaven. He's not allowed to proceed, he explains, through the gate that is there, but he can see people on the other side of the gate, and he can even see the throne of God, which he estimates was maybe three-quarters of a mile away. He had six people that he talked to that he knew well and that he loved so much and he was able to communicate with them, although they couldn't get to each other to hug each other, they could talk back and forth because the gate wouldn't allow him to pass through. The angel said, if you pass through that gate, you can't come back. It's not your time yet to stay here. You are going back. What was amazing is he talks about what he saw in heaven. He sees the throne of God. And he sees all of these people worshiping God and praising God, and he hears them singing songs that he even knew and were, he was familiar with. And he said the people were just kind of dancing, just like Pastor Clark does in the morning. You know that, don't you? Can you see him down here? Jumping up and down and saying, Amen, praise the Lord, and sometimes he'll jump up on his feet. That must be what it's like for those saints in heaven. Now, we, we're not so much like that. I'd call us the frozen chosen. But maybe we need to unthaw a bit. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad. I even saw it this morning. I think some, I saw some of you raising your hand. I don't know if it's, what part of the service it was now, but you were praising God. That can only be a good thing. Because according to Marv, they do that in heaven. There's a hand back there. So there he was. The angel finally comes to him after he, he shares a book full of stuff. I can't even begin to tell you everything that's there. He said, the breath that we breathe is a gift from God. Every time we take a breath, it's God saying, I love you. And allowing you to see the greatness of his creative genius. You can't make that kind of stuff up. It's time for him to go back. When he goes back, 
He's there on the operating table. All the nurses and doctors around him, they're just doing everything they can frantically, and he doesn't know what's wrong. He's there. But they're trying to bring him back to life. And, and of course, they do. And this is true of almost every book my wife has read. Everyone who comes back from heaven for a time is depressed because they've left such a glorious place. And now they're back here. It gives you an idea. I think once we're there and we see what it's like, it'll give you an idea of the sacrifice Jesus made for us in leaving heaven and coming to earth. Because heaven is such a wonderful place. Well, we want to investigate this even more. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 says, But ye are now come into Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and into a numerous company of angels. And it goes on to say, to the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, God, the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect. Let me just tell you, you're at an audience when you arrive at heaven. It's not just you there, and it's not just the Lord, it's a myriad of others. Angels, archangels, cherubim, seraphim, living creatures, the seven spirits before the throne, the Godhead Himself, the church, the assembly, the spirits of just men made perfect. That's pretty much everybody in heaven. And you're there to see. So have no doubt you will see your loved ones. And you will have fellowship with them and they with you and you with God. Number two, heaven is a wonderful place. There's that song when we were growing up. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see the Savior's face. Because heaven, I'd sing but I'm not that good. Heaven is a wonderful place. Praise the Lord. We're going there in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that... If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I want you to think about this. In light of a scripture in Isaiah 66, 1, that says, Thus saith the Lord, God speaking, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Now, if heaven is the throne, and earth is his footstool. How big is the house of God? No wonder Jesus says there are many mansions. Places he has designed for you and for me and for all those in Christ. There are some things that we have to go through before we're ready for heaven. And I think that we are experiencing that while we're on earth. To one degree or another. We must be willing to suffer. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
So we have to have that kind of attitude. Our affliction is light in comparison to the exceeding eternal weight of glory. And so we need to be those who are willing to go through some pain. It's going to happen whether we like it or not. First of all, your body's wearing out. You got some pain, some things that are going wrong. I went to the doctor just before what was actually shortly after our daughter passed away, and he's my um, cancer doctor, and he's looking me over, and he says, Ah, your cancer is back. And I said, Well, what do you mean? And he said, Well, he said, You've been out in a lot of Florida sun, haven't you? And I said, Yeah. And he said, are you using sunblock? And I said, he said, that's what I thought. Because back on the back of your neck, that cancer stuff is coming back. And he scheduled the surgery. And he's a plastic surgeon, too. So he was shooting the Novocaine in the back to remove that cancerous area. And I said, well, couldn't you, while you're there, just grab the neck right here. Put a few stitches in there. I'd look like a different person. You know what he told me? He said, that's not part of your Medicare. <laughs> yeah, we're wearing out. Things are going wrong. There's going to be some pain and, and suffering, and things are going to go downhill. You reach your prime when you're in your 20s, so if you're past that, you're going down the other way. We were not meant to live on earth permanently. We're creatures of heaven. We must be those who seek after the Lord. The Bible says, seek the Lord and you will find. Um, uh, no, no, what's it say first? Um, uh, seek the Lord, knock and it shall be open. There's another one in there somewhere. Yeah, that's it. You're going after the Lord. The idea is that you're, you're, you're seeking, you're knocking, you're finding. And all these things are happening because you're concentrating on those things that are heavenward. Hebrews 11.10 says, Abraham, look for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We must be those who are heavenly minded more than earthly-minded. Now, I know we have responsibilities here. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have dominion over the earth. There's an assignment given to us even when man was first created. It's still in effect today. But we have to remember that we're not going to be here permanently and there's something coming that's much better. Hebrews 11:13. All of those mentioned in Hebrews 11, it's like the hallmark of all those faithful people of God. Those who lived before us did not receive the promises, but having seen them afar off through faith, believing that it was there, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers on earth, that they were pilgrims on earth. Now... They desire a better country that is an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, 
For he hath prepared for them a city. It's called the city of God. It's quite remarkable. And you can find descriptions of the city of God in Revelation 21.16. It calls it a four square. It defines it in uh, being the same as width and length and height, like a cube. And when you look at the description of how far it is, 12,000 furlongs, that means 1,400 miles. That's like flying down here from Pittsburgh. 1,400, I think it's quicker than that when you fly. I think it's like 1,000 miles. If you drive, it's 1,400. So you fly down from the East Coast, you travel out to the Mississippi River, or maybe even beyond that, and you've got the length and the width, but you don't have the breadth yet. That's the height. Imagine a city 1,400 miles high. We say there's no oxygen up there. Who said you need oxygen? You're in a glorified body at that point. The walls are built of precious stones. All the things that we treasure, that we want, that we, the diamonds and the emeralds, the things that we'll, we'll guard, we'll put in our safes. God just says, I'm going to use that for some building materials. I'm going to build the foundations out of this. And by the way, instead of asphalt on the streets, I'm going to put some gold down there. And you're walking on it. Because what's valuable in heaven is not all that. What's valuable in heaven is your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and all those wonderful people that He's made that you're to love like you love Him. Love your neighbor as yourself. Revelations 22, 1 and 2 even describes a river. Crystal clear. I like that. I live on a river. The Allegheny River. It's not crystal clear. But just imagine trees of life planted along both sides of the river. And somehow it even says this in the Scripture, there's one planted in the middle of the river. The tree of life has valuable fruit on it. The tree of life in the garden was something that if you ate, you lived forever. Well, you can eat of this one. It's not blocked. And you are going to live forever. And just because we can't explain humanly what heaven is like, the Lord throws this scripture in so that it covers everything else you haven't even began to understand. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. We're talking about life beyond the grave. And it's going to be quite wonderful. Heaven enlightens all those who enter it because of Jesus. The Bible makes it clear that the Lord, our God, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding are going to be enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who do believe according to the working of His mighty power. Now this is a fact you can 
look it up, they estimate that we humanly use about 10% of our brain. And I've met people I think use less. But perhaps God limits the potential of our brain because of the curse we live under, because of the old man that's in all of us, because of God working on us to make us more like the Savior. And when that occurs, perhaps even He will expand the potential of our brain. He limits it now like he did at the Tower of Babel. He said, if they, these people communicate with each other, it's hard to tell what they might be able to do. So what he does is come down and confound their language. Just a simple thing. But if you've ever talked to someone who speaks a different language than you, and you don't understand them and they don't understand you, it is quite confusing. A team of Mexican people came to where I live, I'd sold a building made by American Steel, and they agreed to put it up. They sent a team of people who could not speak English. And so they were building it up, and I was trying to talk to them and find out how they do things. And they said, we know comprende. And I didn't comprende either. <laughs> and they put it up beautifully. I couldn't have done it better. But as far as talking with them, oh my goodness. You people who are bilingual have a gift. I'll tell you what, that is something. So when God restrains that ability for a time, you can understand. Genesis 11, 6 through 8. Go down, let us now confound their language that they may not understand one another. So the Lord scatters them abroad over the face of the earth. And they left off to build the city. The curse is removed when we are ushered into heaven. I believe that we will know more about God than the greatest theologians, preachers, teachers, anyone else on earth. That, that understanding will be greater when we get to heaven. And let me uh, explain to you why I believe that. Luke chapter 7, 26 through 28, Jesus is describing a great man of God. In fact, maybe the greatest man of God before Christ that ever was upon the earth. But what went ye out to see? A prophet? Yet I say unto you, much more than a prophet. He's speaking of John the Baptist. This is whom it is written, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But now this phrase at the end, that's the one. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Which led me to ask the question, who is least in the kingdom of God? I believe that least in the kingdom of God is the person who just arrived. There are people arriving today in the kingdom of God. Now just imagine this. We know how important faith is on earth. But faith is not important in heaven. 
Because you're seeing with your own eyes. And you know that God is real. You know the Spirit of God is real. The Father in heaven and angels and all the rest that make up heaven. The Bible says you don't have any need for hope when you're standing on heaven's shores. Romans 8, 24 says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? When you're standing there and all this is revealed before you, the instant you arrive, those things are not near as important. According to Romans First uh, Corinthians thirteen twelve and 13, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Notice, now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The love of God, the love of others. Now, maybe you've heard this before, or maybe you haven't. As much as your loved ones that have departed loved you while they were here and still do, I don't believe you could find one person who would be willing to leave heaven and come back to earth. It's such a glorious place, such a wonderful place to be. If given the opportunity, they would all say no. There was only one in heaven who was willing to leave and live the life of a human being on earth. His name was Jesus. That is your Lord and Savior. He came to save you, and He came to save me. Can we thank the Lord this morning for our Savior? Can we give Him some praise? There is no one like Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our God. And I said before, and I'll say again, once you get to heaven, you'll realize the sacrifice that was made when He came to earth. And you'll understand how great a love He must have had for His heavenly Father and for you and I to leave. And once more, he isn't just staying up there. He's coming back. The beautiful thing about heaven is this. Where Jesus is, it is heaven. When he decides to come back to earth, guess who wants to come with him? Everybody in the church the angels of heaven. Everybody that there is wants to follow Jesus. Because where Jesus is, it is heaven. And the beautiful thing is, He can be in you. The mind of Christ. The peace of God that passes understanding. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. All these things are things that God offers us as His children, even while we're alive on earth. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
How are you going to do that unless he's around in you and working through you and loving you and loving others through you? All that is possible, and we want to praise the Lord for that and give him all the glory. I'm just going to close right now if you'd like to stand. The message today was really not about people that do not reach heaven. But you know there are myriads of people who do not because they never place their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. He gives us so many opportunities. When I was just a young person, I think I was a teenager. I was driving down the street in Apollo, Pennsylvania, and I got this pain right here, right where your heart is. The Lord seemed to be speaking to me at that time and letting me know that things were not right with Him. You know, every time we have that pain or something that isn't quite right and you haven't known Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's His calling card to become part of His family. So that opportunity is yours today. If you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, it's not going to get any better than this. You don't have to leave this place with that uncertainty. And all you have to do is invite Jesus into your heart. He's willing to do that. He doesn't want to see anyone lost. He can come in you and work through you and change your life. You don't have to do it on your own. Christ in you accomplishes that. He takes you just as you are. You don't have to change a thing except to receive Him. When He's inside, He begins to do the work of making you like Himself. Could we just pray this morning, asking any of you who do not know the Lord Jesus as Savior, pray with me. Maybe we could just all pray. And that would be such a good thing because if somebody is standing next to you and says, I don't want anybody to hear me praying this. And we're all praying together. How wonderful that would be. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and change me. Make me to your image and likeness. I give you my life, myself, asking you for that forgiveness that only you can grant. Come in, Lord Jesus, and save my soul. I pray in Jesus' name. If you've done that this morning with your heads bowed, would you just be willing to let, let me see your hand? prayed that prayer. You meant it. I see those hands all over the audience. How good that is. Say, I've done that before. I do that every day. I ask the Lord to forgive me for my sin because there are things that I do that I don't even realize. And He will forgive us when we ask Him every day, every time. 
So, Heavenly Father, bless these that have come today. Thank you for heaven being our destination. Thank you that my wife and I have that security of knowing that our daughter is in heaven. We praise you and love you today and give you all the glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for coming today. Praise the Lord.